Welcome back to Life Easier and More Profitable podcast brought to you by 360familyoffice.us. This is the podcast covering all of the ways to make your life easier and more profitable. Timothy Brown is the family officer of 360familyoffice.us. In addition to his 35 years of experience, he's certified in three important ways private wealth advisor, fiduciary trust advisor, retirement management analyst. Today we are discussing second opinion. How are you doing, Timothy? Doing well so far. Thank you, Misty. Glad to be here, of course. And there's some headlines on my mind. Excellent. We would love to hear what is on your mind today. Well, it came up for me today. Um, Uh, Someone had sent me a note, and then I had a chance to speak with a realtor who had assisted me. And the the topic was mortgage companies and the coming, um, the the regulations coming off of uh, financial institutions being able to foreclose on properties. Mm -hmm. And so, what they've done is this process called forbearance. So, if I wasn't able to make my mortgage payment as a result of interruption of my inter- of my employment during the COVID crisis, the, there was a, a moratorium on being able to foreclose on my property, and it, it's going a, away across at different dates across the country. Um, different governors are, are have extended it, and others have shortened it, and the federal government has their opinion. And then the note was from the regulators. What they said was, listen, financial institutions, if you if all of your clients are foreclosed on, that means you have not been contacting and communicating with them, helping them not be foreclosed on. And we're going to either guide you further or we will um, have some regulatory um, imposition on you. And I thought to myself, well, that's very interesting that the government regulators are encouraging these folks not to foreclose on these properties. And it got me to wondering, um, you know, what's the difference in 2021 than it was back in 2008 when people got had a lot of foreclosing going on. Mm -hmm. And so um, I gave that some thought and, and, and it was around, um, you know, what's the difference. And when I talked to the realtor, she, she said to me, um, Meg said to me that, she thought that people have more equity in their homes. So if the regulator's encouragement comes to pass, let's say that that financial institution contacts that person they have allowed to be in forbearance on foreclosure, and they say, hey, let's renegotiate this mortgage, it gives that person a better, that that prices have gone up because of the lack of inventory, so it's a seller's market. So that person might say, well, now's a good time for me to sell. And they would simply take care of their mortgage forbearance that way. They might say to themselves, let's renegotiate. The way forbearance works briefly is that what they do is they say, well, you haven't paid for a year. And so we're going to take, let's say it's $1,000 a month that you haven't paid on your mortgage. Then they're going to add that to the mortgage. So you have a 100000 mortgage thousand dollars times 12 months is twelve thousand now you have a new mortgage and that's a hundred and twelve thousand dollar mortgage which has an as accompanied with a higher mortgage payment and so that's the typical process that uh, the way that they reinvigorate your 
bringing your um, mortgage current with them. So for some folks, that's just not an option to have that higher payment. And some and some mortgage companies will be using valuations that are unfavorable to the client. So there's a lot of different ways to skin this cat in favor or disfavor of that mortgage holder who's been in forbearance. So how does it affect this? So we'll have to see how that works. If I was in forbearance, you know, as I said, there's a couple of basic choices. One, pretty good market for me to sell my home, take a bigger profit from it, take that equity out of it, and then use that to supplement the payments that I'm going to have to make to find a new home um, in the rental market. There's that ideal. Um, the other one is, you know, find some way to come up with the extra monthly payment as a result of that higher mortgage amount right, when they added all those payments I didn't make back into my principal balance. So um, there's that notion of how to handle that, um, those couple of basic ways. There's probably many variations on that theme. Then the other side of it is, What's going? What, what about the marketplace now? How does this change the real estate marketplace in California or uh, Washington or Las uh, Nevada or Idaho, wherever you might be? And you know, the question is, how does that change our marketplace? Will if all these foreclosed homes come on the market in one fell swoop as they as they take the forbearance um, period off? What? How does that look? Um, and so there's all this money on the sidelines saying what we're looking for is a way to buy these homes. There's no inventory out there now in most markets in America. And so is this a way for the markets to have this inventory come online, thereby freeing up some of the pricing and allow them to be bought at a discount and let these people get into the market where they want to accumulate rental units in the single family home and other forms of real estate. So uh, my realtor again mentioned to me today that she just doesn't see that happening. That she thinks that there'll be a lot more renegotiated mortgages. The inventory challenge will remain in place. The prices that sellers are getting when you put your house up for sale, you'll be able to get those multiple bidders in a short period of time. Um, right now, the average, somewhere around 30 days, the lowest range in the history of real estate, mostly. Um you know, most multiple bids and most homes are selling within a 30 day or less period. So her point of view was my realtor's point of view was, yeah, probably a non-event. The regulator's point of view is it better be a non-event. And of course the banks and the holders of those mortgages are, seems like a pretty big event to us. How, what's our strategy and tactics to make the regulators happy? Less regulation is better than more. And to also um, get our balance sheet back uh, back on back on par. Remember, they're, they're, they they have to hold these in a financial calculation. These financial institutions, the banks and the lenders, um, and so there's and and uh, of course the guarantees of those mortgages in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, etc. So it's a uh, quite an interesting economic um, when, when the government steps in. It's an artificial. It's an artificial player in the marketplace. They've imposed an artificial barrier to the natural by uh, supply and demand in the marketplace. And so whenever they 
get involved that creates artificial scenarios. And so we're about to see one that really was a big one last time and whether or not it comes off in a better way for those um, at the lower economic stratas. Um, Let's see how that works. Let's see that. So that's, that's something that's been on my mind and I think it's quite an interesting um, thing to look forward to. So that's, that was what was on the headline on my mind uh, this week today, actually. So uh, moving right along, what was the next, uh, we were talking about second opinions. Yes. Very interested in your take on second opinions and how 360 family office is positioning themselves to be available to people for a second opinion on what? Yeah. Well, second opinions, um, it seems like a very healthy approach to, to things that we do. Um, so I thought health, that I would begin to, um, sh- cre- and I have created some process in my 360 family office structure to offer second opinions. Now, you, wh- the first thing I do when I've got uh, some ideas, I go to the search bar in my browser and I start to say, well, how do other people think about or when they type in second opinion, what would their experience be? What's that look like? Well, it looks to when, when I did it, it looked like um, I wanted a second opinion on the health side. It's predominant. The first thing that pops up in a second opinion search term is, you know, can't you get a second opinion about what the doctor's prognosis is for that cancer treatment. That was the fundamental one. And then it broke itself down into different kinds of health and, and different kinds of doctors second and, and health care second opinions, which seems reasonable. Now you type in second opinion financial and the, 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 boom, you got a whole new territory getting covered there of different people saying the same thing. And the same thing that they're saying is, send us your portfolio. Let's take a look at how that thing's performing. So I'm taking another step, you know, so they want to compare your investments now to the things that they might be suggesting. And I'm sure that you can easily see how that conversation could go, which is, boy, these are all the wrong things and you need some more of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty basic, ideal. Um, that some have a, they take an ever next step in the evolution of things, maybe an upgraded step from there. And they say, how does this align with your goals? This is the, this is a, and frankly, that's a really good step because when I do this process, when I get a referral and I've gotten several in the last couple of months that were very interesting in this idea that I was giving a second opinion about what these state, what their statements said. They said, this is what we've got now. When you look at this, what do you see? And we don't, we're, we're not confident in what's going on. What do you think? And so then, then I get into the first thing I do is I look at the cost of things and take a look at the alignment and what the basic allocation is, stocks to bonds, cash to other invested assets, and get a feel for what that ratio looks like. And then I start to ask myself, stare out the window is what I usually do. And I ask myself, what are the, what are the goals here? And I might go back to my notes or make that call or in, in, initiate that email that says, tell me more about what you're thinking about for these assets. What's the timing? How old are you? Um, how old are your children? Is this for your mother? Is it for your 
parents, your children, for you, for your retirement? Is it to, to, to grow an asset for a particular contemporary goal, like purchasing a home or um, some other asset that you're suggesting, a business, for example? And so, you know, you got to be very clear on that goal and the time frame that's going into that. Then you kind of look at these assets and say, how prepared is that portfolio to satisfy that objective? And so there's that disconnect between objectives and um, that life transition that's coming up, you know, childbirth, child education, uh, home purchase, and then the ultimate, which is moving into um, having our assets um, pay our bills forever, also known as uh, sustainable lifetime income. That's a big one. And so how well aligned are these? That, so that's a, that's the there's a there's a basic um, second opinion where, you know, is the advisor giving you their best possible advice? Um, do the fees you pay justify what you're receiving? Is it aligned with your goals or is there a disconnect here? You know, you've got a you've got a short term goal, and you're 100 percent invested in growth assets. Well, that's that's an obvious one where you go, hmm, that could be a big problem when the markets turn quickly, and you've got all your money in them, and there's a 20 percent discount suddenly, and your goal becomes not only out of reach but way out of reach. Something that you may have been close to at one time. I remember back in the last market disc, the market repricing. People were talking about, geez, I've got to put my retirement off for another five years. And that's just a terrible example of the way it happens to many people. It's like, oopsie, um, yeah, my whole life needs to change. And just when I thought I was going into a new transition, um, I'm not. Can you imagine going to work every day? You say, man, I'm closing in on retirement. I've got six months to go. Then next thing you know, you got five more years. <laughs> I can think of very few things more painful than like thinking about that. It's like wow, but that's it, 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 there's there's a wide array of s- scenarios that could engender that same emotional um, impact. Quite disagreeable to consider. So, that, so when you think about a second opinion, it seems like this could be very st- a big idea something very comfortable and, and a good one to consider. Um, but when the family office space, that's doing a portfolio is just that while doing investment management is the engine of change, critically important, having an investment philosophy and how's that aligned with the current financial assets, that's critically important, true. But when you're in the family office space, thinking back to our first podcast where we talked a little about the history of family office and what it, what is a family office. I'll review quickly here. A family office is not investment management, but investment management is part of a family office um, because a family office starts to look at the family, the, the structure, what's going on with the first generation. That's the parents, the second generation, that's going to be me and, and, and my crew, and then the third generation, my children, and then our children's children is that fourth generation. And the considerations from Gen 1 to 4, that's the kind of broader thinking of family office arrangement starts that is, is structured to address. So the resources that a family office brings to that is designed to support the issues that come up uh, across that spectrum. Uh, family governance, investment management, 
wellness, uh, that wellness, physical wellness, indeed. How's the, you know, you know, do, do what kind of the concierge medicine are we pra- getting a- access to? And emotional wellness. What about the mental health side? I think in this pandemic, we've seen that mental health has really um, been challenging physical health as a critical need and an issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, what, what are the resources that a family office can develop and support and bring to that side of it? Um, so there's tax management. Uh, you know, I had <laughs> I was in a conversation with someone the other day that I found it amusing and likeliest to be true. The statement that he said, you know, there's a lot of interest in tax management these days. Did you know that Republicans hate when taxes go up? And I, and I laughed and I said, yeah, they are a little sensitive to that. That, that is one of the political bents that uh, that you can count on is that. Uh, taxes and Republicans. And so um, there's so much talk about taxes now. Taxes to um, be able to um, support change from one point of view and taxes to hammer my bank account from another point of view. And so tax management is critically important always. And when we're in a flux and change and unknown, it becomes a, a heightened awareness. So what, what, what are you doing with tax management? And again, uh, that same conversation, I, the, 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 the person I was talking to, a professional, a doctor, and he said to me, you know, I, um, I, I talked to my accountant and I asked him if he could help me with some tax planning. And he said, no, 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 no. Don't do tax planning here. We, we're in the tax preparation business. Anything you want to know about paying taxes and how taxes work, I can do that for you. But planning, he had a Roth question. How does a Roth work? Should I do a Roth? Can I convert to a Roth? How does the income tax work versus um, the benefits I'll get at the other end? What's the crossover of the taxation versus the benefits? Those kind of important questions or calculations and that guy. So you know what I did, Tim? This is him recounting to me. He said, I think I'll go ask someone else, which I did. And I called up the next guy that I knew and I had known for a long time. And I said, hey, can you help me with some tax planning? And the answer was, surprisingly to this person, the same. No, 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 we don't do that here. And so I realized that um, who does do tax management? Who does do tax planning? And that's certainly an area that a second opinion um, is is a heightened um, value and a good idea. Um, and, and another reason it's a good idea, I'll just share this with you, is that I do a lot of support for my clients in the tax preparing part, you know, gathering the, all the different uh, documents and providing them to the accountant and making sure the accountant knows all the facts and getting the accountant to return the, do the return in a prompt way. And um, I've discovered over the last, I mean, I've started doing this three, four years ago, where I really support the process of getting the documents together and making it happen and getting them signed and paid or refunded, whatever the case may be. I have discovered something each year that was more impactful to me. And it was, they make mistakes. These, these tax preparing people make mistakes. It's, I, I, at first, I was quite surprised. And then the next year, I became more convinced. And then as it went on, I was like, wow, proactive is what need. that second opinion on that tax return 
is a, is is valuable um, and and has economic impact um, because the last thing I know that this is true the last one of the last things anybody ever wants to have in life is when they go to their mailbox open it up put the key in open it up whatever the experience is that you have and you pull your mail out and you know we look through we shuffle through see what's the one envelope no one ever wants to see the one that has that little irs logo on it yeah not not a that's not the happy envelope and so um making sure that those kind of and and when it does happen how do you get it taken care of and i do that that's part of the family office process estate plans what about estate plans um the tax law is looking to change dramatically on what happens when we die what happens to our property when we die um the, the estate taxes, gift taxes, the way that our living trust or we don't have a living trust, the way our will or we don't have a will, the way that do we have financial powers of attorney or don't have financial powers of attorney. Um, those are all something that a second opinion is critically important because the number of changes that happen when we do that process with our clients, with with a, their attorney or with a new attorney um, that they, they that they're willing to explore a new relationship with, it's like, oh my goodness, so many things to change. I thought it was together. Um, I, I, maybe I can share a, a thought or two about what the number one things that we see are. Um, first, your executor. The executor you had five years ago. In, I, this just happened when we were doing this very issue for client. It no longer is with us. Um, that's that's a challenge. And then this, and then the successor executor to that person um, just didn't qualify anymore, and it became to be a very problem. It, it was a challenge to, to to get that successor trustee in place, that successor executor in place. That so. Those are those are challenges that are can be surmounted. There are resources. You know, I'm a certified trust and uh, uh, fiduciary advisor, and so my training's in executing executing estate plans and creating tax structures to to, to um, have them as efficient and have the outcome as customized as possible for that for that family. So. Um, the, and and even the even on the more powerful, contemporary, more significant thing, is um, a, a client's mother had um, grown um, with memory issues. Cognitive defect is the medical term. Memory issues is the way I go about it. And um, the issue becomes when you have a financial power of attorney, who's entitled or not? Who's entitled? to go to the bank to take care of you. Who's entitled to call Tim Brown and say, hey, we have to make changes to mom's accounts? Um, and when? And so most people have a financial power of attorney. If they do actually have one, it's most of them say, when I am no longer, when the doctor declares me incapable of making financial decisions. Oh, really? What, what, what doctor is that, that, that we're going to? And then you go to the doctor and the doctor says, 
Well, this is a liability trap, isn't it, Mrs. Doctor? And here's why. When you go to that doctor and they declare you to be um, not capable of handling your affairs given the results of their testing on your memory and cognitive uh, level, when they do that, they hand over the keys to your entire financial affairs to someone else. Mm-hmm. And what happens if you're not? What what about what they do with it when they get those keys? Mm-hmm. The doctor's busy thinking, well, if I'm wrong, that's bad. And so what are they going to do? They're going to err on the side of not doing anything at all. They don't like that having make that decision. They're in charge of making it all the time. And what they do is put it off, put it off, put it off as far as possible. So when you're busy thinking who's going to take care of mom, who's going to take care of dad, who's going to take care of brother or sister or or family member, whatever way, it's like now we've got to negotiate with a doctor on how to best care for this person when we know what the issue is and what needs to happen quickly can't happen at all. And so that's the kind of, there's different ways of having those financial powers of attorney that are really important to not getting into that time trap and that, bluntly, to you doctors out there, cover your ears for a moment, the doctors are not in this business of, of wanting to do that, and 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 they're always going to cover their rear ends uh, before they cover yours in this particular area. So there's that. Um, let's see what other second opinions are. I think would be critically important. So we've got tax management, estate plans, investment buy sell agreements. How is my business set up for transfer? What does it look like? There's a couple of magical things that will make your business more valuable and having a second opinion about whether they're in place, how they'll work for you, and and how to, and if they're not in place, how, what to do about it. That's going to come from a second opinion. Um, so that, you know, I would think that those are the most obvious, but in that family, in that family office arrangement, our, stru- we're, our, our firm is structured to say, we have those resources. We have the training and background to know what the questions should be. And we know where to find the resources to get the, the, the answers and the options available um, in 2021 um, to serve you, to serve that family best and to consider Gen 1, 2, 3, and 4 in making those decisions and in developing those resources. And so, um, I think that's the, I think that's what I would say about a second opinion is that it's super important and valuable. Um, it really in- increases the likelihood that the way that you want things to work will work. So that sounds like a great idea. And it will ensure that if you're investing your financial capital and you're looking for an outcome that you're making a, that your investments paying you well, and um, is doing it at a price that's reasonable and and appropriate for from your point of view. And if we have people who are listening right now and they're interested in getting a second opinion, whether it be you know their financial portfolio or taxes, where should I send them? Yes, that the the, the three sixty familyoffice us. We want you know go visit the website, hit the contact form, send me a note. That's super easy for you to do. 
Um, if you you know you have an email from me or any time in the last couple of years, there's a little calendar link on there. Hit it. Set a time that's convenient and that you prefer, and let's have a, a short conversation. What's on your mind? Or if you prefer a longer conversation, let's do that. But those are the two things I would say. Tim at 360familyoffice.us is my email address. Use it. Send me a note. And then uh, let's put together um, a conversation that you just share what's on your mind. Excellent. That sounds great. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to another episode of Life Easier, More Profitable, brought to you by 360familyoffice.us. We will see you soon. We have a lot of great upcoming shows for you. We're going to have lots of experts on here and break down more about the taxes and a lot of other items that Timothy was talking about. So thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.